Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey everybody, this is Go Home Bobby You're Drunk, a podcast where we talk about evangelicalism and the Bible and we drink about it because sometimes that's the only response. My name is Justin. I was a pastor for many years and now I, I don't do that. I don't, I don't roll with that anymore. So I'm joined with my lovely co-host over on the other side of America. Hey, yes, I'm Tori. Also former, former evangelical. Also not really into that anymore because, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're very uncool. <laughs> and I left to be cool. I read this. One of them tweeted that we left to be de- deconstructed because it was the cool thing to do. It was what the cool mm-hmm. kids are going. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, they could have just made being a Christian cool. <laughs> I'm like, so you're saying that you think we're cool and you're not. Okay. Yeah. All right. I see how it is. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was more like I kind of got tired of having to like try to work my way through some sort of theological explanation for why it was important to hate gay people. Yeah. So that was why peaced out. I'm done with that. And uh it was a big part of my life. So I'm still working on getting it out of my system. Yeah. I had to lie to keep my job. <laughs> And say I didn't like gay people and I just couldn't do that. And I'm deeply disappointed with the number of ministers that are okay doing that. I feel a way about it because I know I'm not the only one in my denomination or in hundreds of denominations that are like quietly okay with gay people, but are also quietly okay with their denominations hating gay people because they get paid. That doesn't that doesn't count quietly not hating gay people is that not doesn't up count to folks snuff. it's not good enough i didn't plan on spilling that particular tea today but i i'm i'm feeling a way about it so yeah well the so, southern baptist convention is also feeling a way about it so we can talk about that they're a open bit. about it they're open about that's it at true. least you know that's true. like that's i true. it is frustrating because i know many pastors that are quietly affirming and i'm so frustrated by that because if they can't fire all of you like yeah like honestly they can't fire all of you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so but pastors you know won't you're not going to unionize pastors unions (laughs) this is amazing oh my gosh 
Anyway, so we're going to have a little bit of different format today. We did one of these a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago about evil, where we just kind of like talked about a particular topic for the whole time. I think we're going to do that same thing this time. And we're going to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention, kind of the history of it. And we're going to dovetail that into evangelicalism and all kinds of things, uh, which is certainly going to drive you to drink because it's it's wild and it's weird. But I, I also think it's important to understand because sadly, they still kind of run the show. And so understanding where they come from, I think also maybe will give us, hopefully gives us the tools to figure out how to like write the ship, but at very least being able to laugh at the ridiculousness can also be have therapeutic value for sure. So we're going to do more of that today. So at the top here, I did want to say we do have a new patron uh, this week, which is very excited about. Uh, Patrick has joined our army of youth pastors. And Mm -hmm. because they are an ordained minister in the church of (laughs) drunken Bibleness, they get a life verse. And see, this is my thing. Like my credentials are stripped from me. And so it does bring me a certain amount of delight to just randomly bestow credentials <laughs> on the people. Like, so Patrick, you're ordained. Yeah. Whether you want it or not. It's true. All of no, our... you, you consented by signing up for Patreon. Yes. You are now a youth pastor. Um, <laughs> so it, in addition, every, every tier gets uh, that joins our Patreon, patreon.com slash go home Bible. Um, every tier that joins gets access to our discord, which is full of super cool people. But Patrick also gets a life first because he is a youth pastor. So Tori is going to flip through the, for some reason, yeah. I want to say the golden writ. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because the like the golden. gold leaf on the pages. Oh, on my, on my particular Bible. Yeah, that's true. That's the golden true. writ. The golden tablets of Maroni. She's going to flip through and is going to uh, bestow a verse. All right. Yes, Patrick, I am going to bestow a verse. That verse is the revelation to John chapter three, verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Mm. Amen. Amen. That sounds like a cool tattoo. Yeah, actually, it kind of does. <laughs> oh, we need to, at some point, we need to get to Revelation. That one's a doozy. That one's a doozy. So thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thank you very much, Patrick, for your support and all of our Patreon our patrons and listeners. Uh, really appreciate your support for the last year and helping us cover costs and stuff. We are on a, on a bit of a patron drive, if you will. We would like to get up to uh, 50 patrons. And if we do that, we're going to do a patron hang in Washington, D.C. Or not a patron hang, listen a listener, hang. listener hang. hang in Washington, yeah. D.C., as well as lead a pilgrimage, if you will, mm-hmm. to the grave of one of our favorite Supreme Court justices, Sir Antonin Scalia. Womp womp. Womp womp. It sounded fun and whimsical before all this row yeah, shit. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, I will still take any opportunity to to disrespect Antonin Scalia that I yeah. can get. So. so, and maybe in several years when maybe some other Supreme Court justices join him in death, we will visit their graves as well and tell them exactly how we feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. So please continue supporting the podcast, if you will. Uh, if you can't support financially, completely understand. That's fine. These these are these are rough times. But any any shares and any shout outs on social media would be greatly appreciated. So thank you. Anything else to say about that, Tori? Mm, 
I don't think so. I think we got all the things. So we're going to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention today, kind of the history. We're going to go into the Wayback Machine and just look at like, this is this is where this came from. This wild bananas thing that is the largest <laughs> Protestant denomination in the world. I mean, in a lot of ways, Southern Baptist and Protestant are, are the kind same. kind of the same thing, yeah. So I think that'll be interesting. I think for a drinking game, I think every time Baptist history takes a turn for the worst. <laughs> Take a drink. When they have there an opportunity go. to do better. And, and they, they choose not to. <laughs> and they just choose to do not to. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Take a yep. drink. Indeed, indeed. So, you know, honestly, this is this is actually kind of a, a fascinating little history because the Southern Baptist Convention obviously started as um the Baptist denomination just on its own. There was no Southern attached to it. And it was founded founded by someone who was a little bit woke honestly, which I was not particularly mad about. Roger Williams founded the first Baptist church in what was then British America at Providence Plantations, which is now Rhode Island in 1638. So this is a long fucking time ago. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ for in America. That's a long time. If you live in like, I don't know, England or China or something like that's not anything, that's but yesterday, right? <laughs> but here it's like, Oh, that was, that was Bef- that was in the before America times. Cool, cool. Uh, so Roger Williams was actually kind of a kind of a cool dude, though. I mean, he was a little bit of a polymath, I suppose. Obviously, the the Baptists, the people who became the Baptists, left left Britain because they were being persecuted. So that's in their DNA. Uh, <laughs> just have pers- never stopped being persecuted. Persecution complex runs deep for sure. <laughs> All the way down. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the First Baptist Church was founded by Roger Williams. He was a Puritan minister who I believe got kicked out of the denomination that he was a part of. And Reverend John Clark, who was a doctor, which was not a real thing in 1638, but whatever. Most people listening to this know more than a doctor in 1638. <laughs> oh my God. So interestingly, Baptists, like the Southern Baptists really... <laughs> hung on to this little bit of it, but Roger Williams is very deeply opposed to state interference and enforcement of religion. He actually was the person who coined the, what we now know is like the wall of separation between church and state that Thomas Jefferson wrote in the, in his letter to the Danbury Baptists, which I think we all learned about because we were all like separation of church and state isn't even in the constitution. It was just in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote. Yeah. So anyway, this, that came from Roger Williams, who the actual quote was a wall of separation between the garden of the church and the wilderness of the world. (laughs) That's a lot. I get it. Yeah. But he was, he wasn't, he doesn't seem like the worst person. Like from what I could find, he was very adamant that the crown pay indigenous people for the land that they took. Like that was something that he was really, that was extremely important to him. He took the time to learn indigenous languages and like wrote down like basically a little translator manual for people coming from England to be able to communicate with indigenous people. Yeah. So I think it's funny that like this dude could have been one of our theological heroes and instead we got fucking Jonathan Edwards. The, the slave owning Jonathan Edwards. I'm like, I'm a little pissed off. Like, this guy seems pretty cool. 
Like, which is why we've never heard about him. Well, and that's why, like, like we hear about Christopher Columbus, but we don't hear about like the ministers and theologians that were condemning Christopher Columbus because he was terrible. We're like, yeah, no, this is too far. God has not called you to do this shit. <laughs> no, not at all. So yeah, it is it is interesting. And and I also think it does highlight that in America, we think even like American independence, we think, oh, everyone in American colonies was all about independence and wanted independence. Like, no, like no. there were there were probably there are quite a few colonists that were like the natives are our friends. Like they live over the mountain over there. And what we like, this is our land, our land with an asterisk. But, you know, and that's their land. And we do not want to take it from them. There were plenty of colonists that were just happy to be in Massachusetts. And, you know, but there were a lot of wealthy folk that were like, you know, land is pretty good over there. We we might need some of that. We might need some of that. And we're mad at the crown. I mean, yeah, if you read the Declaration of Independence, it's like three paragraphs in. They're like, we want to take land from the savages. Yeah, no, it's like we're very angry at King George. Here's all the things that he's done to keep us from becoming wealthier. (laughs) Buddy, calm down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, again, like early Baptists were pretty fucking cool. Like black people could join the Baptist church. Black people could be members and ministers, which is wild to me. And there were, you know, there were obviously like Black Baptist churches as well, but there were churches that were mixed race. And that was just kind of how it was, you know, before the American Revolution, even Baptists and Methodists were sending missionaries to the South to preach about like equality of the races and like, and to encourage like, manumission of enslaved people. And, you know, they were like preaching for abolition. And so they were very, you know, they were very, very, they were doing really cool stuff. And I just, again, I'm like, why were we not taught? Like I was, I was kind of tripping out because I was expecting to go back and be like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of fucking racists all the way through. But it's like, that wasn't the case at all. But this is like history we never, we never heard about. So... (laughs) So basically Southern Baptists are very proud of the fact that they're kind of autonomous and they're just sort of like loosely affiliated. There are way too many of them churches in this country right now. I think the number is like 42,000 currently. Yeah, I think it's like more like 47. Close to <laughs> it's too many. It doesn't matter what it is. It's too high. It's 40,000 um, 40, too many. Right, right. Exactly. And it's right. <laughs> Any number higher than zero, <laughs> inappropriate. So they're very proud of the fact that they're like autonomous and they're only kind of loosely affiliated. And so that was really, you know, that was really important to them kind of until they needed political power. Yeah. And and that comes from this guy, Roger Williams, kind of taken out of context, though, I think, because mm. Roger mm-hmm. Williams coming from the Church of England, where, you know, their church and state are very much entwined. And then coming here to the United States, where where at least in colonial times was less so. And then, you know, after the American Revolution, like the idea that there would not be a state church, although the idea that there would not be a state church in the United States was more that there will not be a federal state church. Yeah, there's the the the. The colonies were pretty churchy. Like Virginia could have an official Anglican church, but there would not be a federal church, you know, which is why people now really want to go back to states' rights. Because States' I think, rights. I think they want to have 
you know, a Christian. The church, call. the church of Wyoming. Yeah, the church. Yeah, the Evangelical Church of Utah. Oh no! Oh my or gosh! Or whatever. Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting sort of transition that they went through, but like they continue growing like through through like the American Revolution and after like the founding of the country. And it wasn't until like the 1800s that they kind of decided to like come together a little bit more. And so they started what was originally called the Triennial Convention. It was just because they met every three years, but it's kind of a cool sounding name. I don't know. And so this basically was a organization that existed to not necessarily for a hierarchy, but to fund missions and funding missions is like a really big part of this whole scandal, like why they exist in the first place, which is just really fucking comical to me. Because why do you need a denomination in the 1700s, 1800s? Like, because your triannual conference, you can only meet once every three years because meeting and traveling is very time consuming. It's going to take you three weeks to get to Philadelphia, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, why even have one? Right. But, right. It, yeah. I mean, it kind of, it was kind of just like, whatever, but it was, it was really, it was really interesting. Like the way that missions and colonization kind of get conflated at this point, like before, before Southern Baptists even become a thing, right. That there was a lot of conflict. So it was the first Trano convention was 1814. And they were like, we got to figure out a way to like fund missions. It was all like missions, 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 which is again, like not something that I had ever heard about, but they were like wanting to send missionaries to like the new frontier of, I don't know, like the Louisiana purchase or something. And um, so and then while this is happening, right, there's there's the first uh, the first and second great awakening, right, which causes these churches to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's just more they just continue to grow. Um, and so the Baptists decide to draw the line at we're not going to fund missionaries who own people. Seems fair to me, at least. Yeah, like. <laughs> Especially if like, we're going to take you, like, we're going to, like, maybe we're going to send you to be a missionary to Africa. It's probably not a good look. Mostly to the natives, I think, but still, still like indigenous people also aren't stupid. Like they can see what you're doing, dude. Not a good look. Not a good look. So for some reason, like the Baptists decided to kind of like die on this hill. And so this is like the big missions and slavery were like the big contentious issues of the like the first half of the 19th century essentially and you know this issue kept coming up and coming up and like so these baptist churches in the south which were originally and and were largely overwhelmingly made up of of like subsistence farmers like these people were very very poor but then they they started seeing this influx of slave holders coming into these churches and these people i mean like the Mississippi, the Mississippi River Delta uh, or the Mississippi River Basin had like the highest concentration of like wealth in, on the planet at this time. And then everybody else, like white people, free black people, like everybody else lived in basically abject poverty. So when you have these like plantation owners coming into your churches, like they kind of are putting this pressure on the churches, the Baptist churches in the South to be like, 
get, we also deserve to have money for missions. And yeah, that, so obviously like the things kind of came to a head, but. So you're saying, let me get this right, Tori, because mm-hmm. it sounds crazy that income inequality creates problems when wealthy folks decide to buy them some sell some churches and then suddenly they start to write the theology yeah man. as opposed to people trained in such things yeah you know it kind of it kind of seems like it shook out that way frankly do you think maybe this might become a pattern you know it seems like there discussion. are a lot of a lot of patterns i'm picking up in this history absolutely <laughs> there are many many patterns so wealthy folks rolled in and decided you know what we don't like your theology we would like you to change it mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make it okay for us to own slaves. Yeah. And interestingly, the Baptist churches in the South, before it was the Southern Baptist Convention, were very, I don't know, easily swayed by these incredibly wealthy individuals. I wonder why. So they decided, like these Southern churches in the South decided to go at the Triennial Convention, decided to go to bat for the slavers, essentially. And the rest of the convention essentially was like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to allow you to send slave owners as missionaries. Like we're just not going to fund that. And then they get all, I don't know what to call it, PC about it. And they kind of make it this thing where it's like, we're not, we're actually not going to talk about this anymore. Like you can't bring up slavery, which is, and it's like, we can't talk about politics and church. It's like, you're the ones that politicized everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's, that's how a lot of, well, okay. Like the United States Constitution was written with slavery in it, even though slavery is not in it, you know, because they're like, we don't really want to talk about it, but we're going to have to kind of talk about it. So we're just going to kind of, you know, there's like three or four places where it's like, wink, wink, we're talking about slavery in the Constitution. And there were a lot of denominations for a while when it talked about LGBTQIA conclusion, inclusion, we're like, you know, that's happening now. Like, we just don't want to talk about it. Just don't bring it up. Because if you bring it up, it's probably going to lead to a split. It's going to lead to politics. And we all yeah, know politics. how that feels about politics. So I just want to read this little excerpt from the Southern Baptists about themselves, about this particular time in history, because I, I found it real fascinating, like their particular lens on it. So they wrote the Southern Baptist Convention, SBC, was organized on May 8th, 1845 the First Baptist Church of Augusta, Georgia. Before that time, most Baptists in America were part of one denomination, the Triennial Convention. A number of factors led to the formation of the SBC as a separate denomination, including a lack of mission money being spent in the South. (laughs) And then they're like, a difference of opinion between the North and the South about the issue of slavery and also whether, like, like, and if missionaries could own slaves. They're like, it was a disagreement about whether or not someone who owned slaves could be a missionary. And then this, I think, I feel like this is kind of a cop out, but this last line, like the last point shows how even missions minded Southern Baptists were captive to the sins of their particular culture. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts? <laughs> well, it's just more I'm like, dying. it's, it's fascinating that in 2022, they can view, they can see, they can frame owning people as a difference of opinion. It's just a difference of opinion. There were some disagreements that we, can, we had. We can amica- we can agree to disagree on whether or not owning people is wrong. Like 
No. Can't do like, it. Like we've said a million times, like whether pineapple is a good pizza topping, that is a difference of opinion. It is not, by the way. It is. <laughs> it's not. delightful with jalapeno and salami. I'm just saying. It's still it's hot fruit, which I will concede is not the best idea. It's hot fruit. I'm just like, <laughs> hot, hot, sweet fruit on a savory dish. Like, yep. why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing this? And But you know what? We can add this debate. It's a difference of opinion. It's fine. Justin, I feel like we should talk about whether or not white men should be allowed to exist. Just to kind of like explore the idea. I'm not saying that I think that like you should all be killed or anything. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I don't think you should all be slaves. I'm just like, why should you exist? Like, is there a yeah. reason? Maybe we could just not, if what, just imagine if we didn't exist. Like, yeah, like thought experiment. Yeah. Just bear with me here. See, like, that when- makes me a little uncomfortable because that's not a different <laughs> thing because that's my life. Like, <laughs> but so, think about how much cooler the planet would be. I, I, on a, yeah. You know what? I would take one for the planet. I'm sorry. That was, wow. I might've taken that too far. Okay, cool. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So they're all, they're still, they're still riding this difference of opinion bullshit these many years later. And then they do make a point to say in 1995, the Southern Baptist convention publicly repented for their role in slavery and da, 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 da. I, okay. 1995, 150 years after the fact. Like when they say like past sins, you didn't repent of them. While you were sinning them. For a long time. <laughs> you didn't repent until it was legally impossible for you to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Like, uh-huh. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, and even then indeed. you're still racist. But like. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, too, because like, like the actual language that they use is like Southern Baptists publicly repented for the role that slavery played in the birth of the Southern Baptist Convention. Like the role that slavery played in the birth of so it's like well, it's just you know difference of opinion. We just started out kind of gone got off on the wrong foot. Like it it's staggering to me. But now it goes, now it now it's going strong. It goes it just gets so dark so fast. I'm just like to me the turnarounds. I mean obviously I understand that between 1638 and 1843 is 200 and some odd years. It is. I I do want to pause for a second just to kind of talk about Christianity generally because. I think this is where I think a lot a lot of people get hung up because Christianity, like on paper, let's kind of take history out of it for a second. Like this is pretty badass religion. Mm-hmm. Like stand up for the oppressed. We love people. So I, most of us followed Jesus out the door of whatever church we left, you yeah. know, because like, I believe in this shit. Like this is, this is good shit. Like we've said this on the podcast before. It's not all bad, you know, but it is disheartening. And I can see why people are like, yeah, Christianity is shit and we should just abandon it altogether because it gets dark so fast. You know, like, I don't I don't know why that is. I would be interested to see, like, comparatively other religions, like do other religions just get dark this fast? Uh, you know, I, you know, is it a human thing? Like, we'll take we'll take we'll take anything good and ruin it. Doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, or is it something unique to Christianity? I mean, I think. You know, I think a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, it's unique to Christianity. But I also think that's a lot of ignorance on our part of what the history of other religions as well, because we have a lot more firsthand understanding of Christianity and just the exposure. This might be something I want to look at a little more deeply, but it's just it's like like even Baptists in the United States, how they started was like actually kind of rad. 
hey, we owe these natives money because we took their land. That is not a majority voice in the United States. Right. That's not a majority no. stance to take, you know, uh-huh. um, especially amongst like early America in the sense of like America, the nation, because, you know, again, like once George Washington was like, hey, we're just going to fight all of a sudden, like killing natives was the thing. So I, I find it. It's just interesting, like, man, it just, it just gets kind of dark real quick and it just keeps getting darker. Is that something unique to Christianity or is that just, you know, humans will take any power structure and be like, oh, yeah, this power oh, structure yeah. lets me own people. <laughs> like, uh-huh, I don't know. Uh-huh. I think like a much smaller version of this, I think, honestly, is Mormonism because like Joseph Smith was kind of a motherfucker. But he was kind of, he was very invested in this idea of like turning the other cheek. I mean, he would fuck people over. He was obviously a pathological liar. Like there were so many problems with this dude, but he felt very strongly about like kind of taking responsibility. Like if somebody, you know, he was arrested several times for, for breaking the law. Polygamy was, I think the one that they were the most offended by, obviously for obvious reasons. And it's really, really fascinating. Like I knew a lot of this stuff, uh, but what I, what I didn't, that was something that was implied in Under the Banner of Heaven was that Brigham Young, who was like, what, what was that thing that Jesus said? Like you, you take these people, you take these people and you make them seven times. Yeah. <laughs> Twice the son of hell you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that was, that was kind of, that was kind of Brigham's thing. And it was kind of, it was implied that like Brigham Young was actually the reason that Joseph Smith got offed, which was very interesting. That part I did not know. I did not know that there, there was at least some people feel like maybe that was what happened, that he kind of instigated those circumstances. But uh, yeah, Brigham Young was like a motherfucker. Like his whole thing was like he, he owned people that he forced to walk from Missouri to Utah. And he had, you know, obviously he had a bunch of wives. God knows what even happened there, but he was really big on javelins, uh, specifically using them to execute people who had broken God's laws. Oh dear. Uh-huh. Yeah. So existing as a mixed race person, just for context is breaking one of God's laws. So you can't, you can't be alive if that's something that you are. So that was interesting. He felt very, very strongly about many things and was just so incredibly violent. Like, and again, it's like, it just got dark so quickly coming back to what you were saying. And I don't, I don't know if that's a pattern or not, but it's definitely something I've, I've noticed in, in places, especially there. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of like, like there is other, like, well, I mean, you could even make the case with like Jesus and Judas, like, you know, Judas is like, let's monetize this shit, you know, like, hell yeah. There, there is a well-meaning spiritual leader. Give me them shuckles, boy. And then there's the people that come into Oh, did you watch? It was a documentary about it. It was about the 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 cult that they wore red all the time. They're in Oregon. Um, oh yeah, yeah, wild wild country. Yes, yes wild wild and country. The Rajneeshis. Yeah, the Rajneeshis. Like he was seemed okay if oblivious, right? But his like lieutenants were cutthroat people. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they were like little demon babies, <laughs> like. Try, like like literally trying to assassinate people. Yes. 
It's just yes. like you took it like so much farther than it needed to go. They were like planting bombs places and poisoning people. And like, it was, it was kind of wild. And there was this, it does seem like there was this really kind of big dichotomy between like what was motivating, like the people who are trying to like preserve the power versus the person who's just like the personality right? Because it's like people gravitate towards certain charismatic individuals like Jesus or whatever, the Rajneesh or whatever they call them. Osho or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but then I think it's like the people that come afterwards kind of have to be like, okay, well we don't have that. So what do we got? We got to preserve this. We have to like keep it pure. We have to protect, we have to protect our leader, you know? And I, I can even see where it comes out of a good place, but like, I guess if we if you do take the wild, wild country or these other like kind of cults or Mormonism that have kind of sprung up over the years and I look at Christianity that way and I then extrapolate the timeline out 100 years or 200 years, I guess you could see where it's like, well, now we're just protecting a tradition here that has almost no connection to the original source. And then at that point, we can just kind of make it say whatever we want and that brings a lot of power. And I'm, and I, if we had, you know, a scholar of Islam on here, I'm sure there are probably plenty of examples of where that is, you know, screwed up and people have just kind of taken it and ran. And, you know, there's, there's there, like, you think of Buddhism as like, Oh, that's the peaceful world religion. Like, right. no, there's like Buddhist, like terrorist groups, <laughs> like yeah. executing Muslims in like Bangladesh right now. Yeah, so it's, they, it's they're, they're not, they're not fucking around. That is, no. that is absolutely true. That is, I, yeah, completely. Oh, Scientology. I feel like Scientology did that a little bit too. I don't know. I mean, I, like I could, again, I'm like, I don't quite know enough about it to be a hundred percent sure, but it definitely seems like L. Ron Hubbard was more of like this care. Like he was very charismatic because he was ugly as fuck and was still like banging all these women. But uh, like, <laughs> and then who, I don't remember now. I can't remember the name of the other guy, but like the little guy who's, who was in charge, like after him, it's like, oh yeah. So we're going to start following you threatening you and then not to say that not to say that l ron hubbard didn't do that because he did he definitely like they had all these plans to like hijack the u.s government and whatever but it does kind of seem like it goes like the second generation goes kind of dark <laughs> goes to a dark place i don't know i could be wrong maybe somebody who's doing research will listen to this and have something to write their um, thesis con- or dissertation about or- <laughs> refute our our yeah the drunken musings the pattern that we may or may not be observing because that's how brains work we're not good at details <laughs> but a pattern has emerged going back to the southern baptist convention from that lovely side trail the pattern that emerged is that they they they, they took a turn for the worst so if you have not taken a drink up until this point you can go, go ahead, ahead and, and do that go now. ahead and do that because they uh they decided to side with the slavers and become the Southern Baptist Convention and retain that name to uh-huh. this day. Yes. So, and again, like they keep like their own accounting of their history, like completely leaves out the kind of social environment of the times. And, you know, obviously like scholars have kind of commented on this because clearly like 1845, the issue was slavery. Right. And, and once once slavery was over, the Southern Baptist Convention obviously was like agitating for like 
like Jim Crow laws, essentially. And well, again, like while claiming that like politics was supposed to be separate from religion and that they weren't supposed to like intermingle while having these like very strongly political, like very, very political, overtly political kind of ideas that they're trying to, to protect. So reconstruction happens and they're like, okay, well, segregation is good. We don't, we don't really want to have these like blacks around. So black Baptists kind of split off from, from them as well, which makes, which makes sense. Right. Cause, uh, during, during slavery, the black Baptist churches had to have a white preacher after the Nat Turner rebellion, which I'm just like, what, what would a white guy even say to a black church? It was based from, from what I understand. It was like, be nice to the person that owns you. Like those were the sermons they were getting. Like today, today, if you like threw me in front of a black church, that's, that would be a difficult crowd just to, to preach, like just because culturally and everything, I think I could do it, but it's just like rewind 200 years. <laughs> what does a white guy have to say to a black congregation? Like uh, serve your master as if you're serving the Lord. Yeah. We're just going to keep <laughs> we're just replaying that hit over and over again. <laughs> oh, dear God. Yeah. I mean, so there was all kinds of like racist bullshit there, too. Like they made, you know, churches were segregated. Right. So the white people sat on the bottom floor where it was cooler and the black people sat up in the attic where it was hot as fuck. Uh, Cause I'm sure they can deal with it better or something like that, obviously. And so when the SBC was founded, there wasn't like a denominational confession of faith or anything like that. It was, again, it was like, it was these kind of loose affiliations in a lot of ways. So like, you know, and some churches and like associations of churches like came up with their own. So they go like, according to, according to the Southern Baptists themselves, right? Like they decide, it says for a variety of reasons, including uh, the spread of liberal theology, Southern Baptists adopted the first convention-wide confession of faith in 1925. Oh. Uh-huh. So w- w- when was, like, do they have, do you have like a month for that? Oh, uh, no, I don't have a, mm, I might have it up somewhere, actually. That'd be May 14th, 1925. Oh, a, oh, okay. So in July of 1945 or 1925 so later but this would have been brewing before then was the scopes trial Mm. Uh, now so for those of you that don't know scopes trial was honestly if it went to the supreme court today it might be different um (laughs) basically it was a trial to that over a teacher there was a teacher in a high school in dayton tennessee that was teaching the students evolution. And there was a there was a law basically in Tennessee that made it illegal to teach human evolution in any state-funded school, which is wild to me. But they decided to, you know, they took it to trial. And, you know, essentially, I mean, long story short, free speech ruled the day. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and the teacher was allowed to. You know, it was a landmark thing. It also like there were a lot of fundamentalist Christians that were really starting to try to organize and try to impact, you know, American policy and really trying to you know, take America back for God. And this was a real slap on the wrist for them, because I think it was one of those things that was like, you know, we are we are not 
the, the country is taking a turn for the worst in some ways. And so we're going to, we're going to have to like really regroup and rethink. And there were a lot of denominations too, that were like, we need to like, not secede in the sense that like we're seceding, but we're, we're going to recede from society. We are, we are going to be an enclave kind of on our own. We're not going to try to influence theology as much or, or policy as much. We're going to try to be separate. Interestingly enough, after the 1920s, really through the 60s, 70s, you know, like that was actually some of the best times economically. Some of the best times. Ah. Oh, gosh. Um, there was a lot of other shit going on. So it's not, it's not, was not perfect. Yeah. He, he was, yeah. Scopes was the teacher and he was fined like a hundred dollars, which I think, yeah, I was looking at that. That's like 1500 bucks in today's money. Yeah. I mean, there, there was there 1925, like nothing specifically like comes to mind. Right. About at least for me, if somebody were just to like pull out that date, but like, so this was nine or 10 years after the birth of a nation came out. And then there was this massive surge in the clan, the number of people who joined the Ku Klux Klan, which they build as like a family organization, which is real, real interesting. Protecting your family. Right. Protecting your family. Also, Black folks were agitating to have slavery, or not slavery, sorry, lynching banned, uh, something we didn't manage to do until I think last year. So that's, that's real cool. Um, so, uh, there's like this huge, there's this huge uptick in lynchings because, you know, the clan and this other Baptist convention is concerned about liberal theology. Like that's, that's like the top of their list, which is, uh, so, like, well, that, that's bananas. So Tori, let me paraphrase back in 1925, there's escalating racial tensions. There's a court that is turning out rulings that are that are difficult for certain groups of people and also you know war drought famine these kinds of things were going on dust bowl etc and the thing that the southern baptists were most concerned about was liberal theology uh-huh yeah so i they... might i might go get a drink <laughs> That is valid. Yes. I'm done. I'm out. We're finished. No, I really want to, I really want to get to the, I really want to get to the, um, like the no homo parts of their own. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, but do you want it? Do you want to stop and like get a drink? We can, we can, we can do that. Yeah. Let's take a, let's take a okay. capitalism break real quick. Sweet. Uh, seems like a good spot. And then we'll come back and we'll kind of talk about kind of the rest of their crazy weird history. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe just maybe try to, cope from there mm-hmm. okay. indeed <laughs> first corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church it's a podcast about change it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side you can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for worshiping the God of capitalism with us for a few moments. 
Greatly appreciated. Yeah, so we're going to get back to our depressing as fuck history of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're in every single major moment of this particular denomination. They have major freakouts when people get rights. That seems to be a theme because their next major freakout sort of gets kicked off in the 1960s. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> what was going on in the 1960s, Tori? You know, what was going on? What wasn't going on in the 1960s? That's a better question. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So the... And like, this is what's so fascinating to me about all of this is that like people, like scholars have done all this research on like these huge freakouts that the SBC has. And like, obviously the freakout that started them is, is like kind of the big one. This 1925, these black people are getting too uppity. Can't have this uh, freak out also like when, when was theology? Sorry. Go ahead. Black Wall Street was several years before that, right? Um, so Black Wall Street was 1921. So a couple of years before then. Yeah. 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 The, that would have mm-hmm. been the Tulsa race massacre for those that maybe don't know. That's where a bunch of white people decided to bomb one of the most prosperous black neighborhoods in the United States at the time. Yes. Because they were jealous. Because they were jealous. And it actually is the first bombing of on U.S. soil. Wow. Was Didn't know per- that. Was perpetrated by police officers <laughs> on a black neighborhood. Shocker. Shocking. I, I don't actually know. I don't think that it's confirmed that it was police officers in the plane, but there were firebombs dropped from planes, uh-huh. whether it was civilians or police officers. What was the difference back then, really? Yeah, it's a distinction without a difference because <laughs> the police were definitely on the side of the white mob. Anyway, so... That's going on, and the Southern Baptist Convention is like liberal theology is the problem. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. black people are getting too many rights. That's why we're mad at them. <laughs> right. If they just didn't have all these rights, we wouldn't. Things would be, be fine. We wouldn't be bombing them. There would be no conflict here. That's I don't understand. Certainly, why you some, don't that's like something that's something an abuser says. You didn't make me mad. I wouldn't hit you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So yes, once again, then you know the they they seem to they seem to calm down a little bit again until the civil rights movement kicks off, and they start freaking out again about liberal theology. But this time, it's like not just black people; it's also like the gays because God knows if you're gay, you can't go to heaven. That's why God made you that way to keep you in hell no but i think that i think like one thing that they say in their like his their own history like who are the southern baptists so you know the the svc is a national convention that includes all churches that choose to contribute financially to its ministries and refuse to support the homosexual agenda those are the requirements for those are the requirements mm-hmm. and i'm sure they're going to tack on critical race theory real quick yeah like <laughs> oh, god like I, uh huh, that like that's their criteria. Like that is their, give, yes. give us money and don't support the and gays. hate the gays right now, twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's that's. This is on their website. Like we can bleak. fucking link to it. Yeah, that's bleak. <laughs> Which interesting then, interestingly to me, then um they kind of they kind of like they kind of just leave that and they're like this is our breakdown, like cooperative programs and agencies and boards and our universities and seminaries. And then, then they get to like our theology and like 
go full like two-faced nonsense here because i mean obviously i'll just i'll just read it to you yeah yeah because um, I, I was reading this earlier and i was like this is so messed up like good god people the southern baptist convention has historically been marked by a theology that is committed to three things the evangelical gospel a baptist ecclesiology and a commitment to evangelicalism and missions the most cherished Southern Baptist convictions include the Lordship of Christ, the full trustworthiness of scripture, uh, regenerate church membership, believers baptism by immersion, the autonomy of the local church, uh, congregational church government, and religious liberty for all people, except gay people. Except gay people. Yes. Except gay people. Like you just you just said like the homosexual agenda excluding like really okay, so but, like we know that you don't let gay people like preach in your churches so uh religious liberty for who again whose whose lives matter yeah and and well and this is where like this is i mean honestly why we're covering the southern baptist convention maybe if you're listening this song obviously you're interested if you're listening this long and wondering why (laughs) thanks for sticking with us Mm, Uh, true but I, i do think it's because the Southern Baptist Convention, because they're the largest Protestant denomination, they really, they're the tail that wags the dog in evangelicalism generally. So, you know, there are a lot of Methodist denominations, you know, but there are a lot, there are a lot of Methodist denominations that are, you know, that consider themselves to be evangelical, you know, the Nazarenes from a certain extent, the Wesleyan Church was what I was a part of, but they really wag the dog and set the tone in a lot of ways. I mean, that, that, that is how abortion became such a landmark issue in the late seventies, early eighties. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing today. Like the Southern Baptist convention says, this is what we're about. That trickles into the rest of honestly, Protestantism generally Generally. Mm -hmm. in the United States. And you want to talk about cultural DNA, the cultural DNA of the largest Protestant domination in the United States is freaking out over people getting rights, black people specifically. Like that was how they were born. That's how they live. And, and they'll be that way till they're dead. Like that, like cultural DNA and cultural consciousness and like organizational consciousness is a thing. And that's not going to go away. You know? No, 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 it surely is not. So like, so after the, after I didn't mention this explicitly, I guess, like after the civil war, Southern Baptists were very explicit. And I'm like, I don't understand who was trying to do this specifically. They were very explicit that like black people could not be members of their churches. And they were still writing stuff about slavery in the 1890s. Like they could not fucking get over it. So just so you know, again, cultural DNA, like if that's a real fucking thing and, uh, they, they have some. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just for people out that maybe don't aren't very good with like historical dates. That is 30 years after the end of the Civil War. Yeah. Like the Civil War was like 19 or 1863. Something, I think something. was like the end of it was 61 to 63. Yeah. So 1860s, <laughs> like they're still preaching about the virtues of slavery. Almost into the 1900s and probably some churches into the 1900s. It's so dark. That's 120 years ago. That's actually not that long. So, yeah, that's, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So abortion became their issue at some yes. point. I feel like we need to talk about Brown versus Board of Education a little bit. Because I because I also think that that is part of why abortion became their thing. You know, so Brown versus Board of Education, you know, you can't, you can't segregate. And all these super racist schools like Bob Jones University. Or like, try and stop us. Or like, yeah, sure, try and stop us. You know, we we can we can be racist. And once the government decided to like, no, you actually can't. Which Bob Jones University into the 90s and maybe even 2000s, you could not date someone who was of a different race than you. 2003 was when they got rid of that. Yeah. So just going to let that sit there. When when my partner was there, interracial dating wasn't allowed. And that was actually why he left. Because he was like, somebody explain this to me. Because this doesn't make any sense. This, there's nothing in scripture that you can say that like backs this up. And I don't actually know if Bob Jones University is technically Baptist, but I don't know, they may as well be. I it's, mean, yeah, their theology lines up, I think, pretty much click for click. I, I'm not aware of anything that they disagree that they disagree on that they would disagree with. So I do. Th- I, I you know, so Brown versus Board of Education. A lot of these Christian institutions that are that were racist, you know, get get a slap on the wrist and. I I think in a lot of ways, this is where there was this weird alchemy of strategy and politics, because I think at that point, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was 1960. No, 40, uh, 54. 54. Okay. I should just let you do these dates because you, you probably know them much better than me. You know, but really not enforced until the 60s, honestly. Yeah, 60s and 70s. And I almost think like during the 70s, it be, it became to the point where it's like okay, it is unfashionable to be racist openly. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need a legal issue that is going to allow us to be racist without being racist. And I do think that Roe v. Wade was that thing because a lot of the legal underpinnings that became the groundwork became the groundwork for Roe. You can make the case, you know, if you can dismantle Roe you can make the case to dismantle most of the racial progress we've had in the last hundred years in this country. And I feel like that's what, I don't know that anyone alive is after that now because these people would have been fucking old at this point, but there is a part of me that's like, you know, Roe v. Wade was the, was the, was the mechanism to get what they wanted. It was never about the unborn and really to roll back the clock on all of the progress because when people that aren't white Baptists get rights, God's not happy about that. I I mean, God has a sad, God has a sad about that. So we got to roll back things or when we can't segregate our schools based on race. I don't know. God, I don't, we were talking about this before we started recording, like Tori and I are still kind of stumped as to the, like, what, what is your, what is the end game here? Right. <laughs> like I'm even trying to follow the money here. And I'm like, yeah, there's money to be made, but like how long and for who is, I don't know, kind of a mystery, but it definitely feels like the Southern Baptist convention and evangelicals and particularly the like more political arms are like a dog chasing a car right? and they have no idea what to do once they get it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens once the implications of Roe v. Wade being overturned really start to take shape. What is going to happen? I'm hoping it falls apart and people come to their senses, but I, that's just 
because I'm an Enneagram seven and I'm a perpetual optimist. Yeah. So I'm addicted to optimism. (laughs) Uh huh. That's real. So they had some real quick, they had some really serious whiplash actually on the issue of abortion, which was pretty flipping interesting. So in the night before the 1970s, Southern Baptist churches didn't really have any, they didn't take a position on abortion or they were accepting of legal abortion under certain circumstances. They didn't care. Right. So they, you know, they, they always, always, whatever that means, opposed abortion on demand but like even even by today's standards, they were still like pro-choice, like explicitly pro-choice in like 1971. Basically, they put out a resolution in 1971 that it was basically like at this annual meeting, which was adopted by like by the national annual meeting, asked Southern Baptists to work for legislation that will allow the possibility of abortion under such conditions as rape, incense, incest, clear evidence of severe fetal deformality, and carefully ascertained evidence of the damage to the emotional, mental, and physical health of the mother. So that's 71 is when this happens. So in 79, there is functionally like a hostile takeover of the convention. There's been quite a bit written about this by, by like, like actual scholars about how this happened, but basically like the hard right people basically kind of took over, took over the SVC, like took over the, the denomination. So, and then, so that's 71. They're like, we support abortion by, and then by 1980. So like the year after this sort of hostile takeover situation, they are supporting appropriate legislation and or constitutional amendment prohibiting abortion, except to save the life of the mother. So that's like nine years, like complete 180. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I'm saying like it, I do think there are very many well-intentioned pro-life people in like everyday pews probably that have yeah. just been feeding this stuff but I, i'm talking about like political strategists seeing an opportunity here to dismantle legislation that they don't like well taking like over people's, people's a denomination rights, like bodily autonomy is what they wanted back right they wanted to take that back from people and abortion was a really really good mechanism through which to do that uh, bodily autonomy, the ability to go and do what you want when you want, the ability to purchase contraceptives is on the table at this point. You know, J- Justice Clarence Thomas, you know, states rights, saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah. And so this like weird states rights obsession, which, again, goes along with the Southern Baptist Convention being born out of a slave movement. Of course, they are going to be hyper into states rights. And again, like states rights to do what? Oppress trans people is what it is today. You know, oppress trans people and control women's bodies like, you know, states rights, to my knowledge, has never been invoked for anything good. You know, I I think maybe it will now. Like, yeah, yeah, that's possible. I, I, I could see Oregon being like states' rights to like say fuck off, Texas. You, we're <laughs> not we're not extraditing women who sought abortions, you know. So we we could see that happen. But so far in our history, states' rights has always been to take rights away. The state's right to take away rights from its citizens. Yeah, yeah. The state's right to determine privileges. There, like, there are no personal like individual rights. There are only privileges that you can get if the state approves of you having them. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, I will like I will die on this hill. Like states don't have rights. We own you, not the other way around. Yeah, that point stands. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, then like their their big thing now, uh, as we've talked about, is this sex scandal where they were keeping pastors in place who were very clearly committing sexual assault against women and children. And yeah. They have just like the most lovely of histories. It's also, kind of, I was going to say a microcosm of the United States, but it's big, it's, it's bigger than that because it's the biggest Protestant denomination. So it's bigger than a microcosm. That's, that's, that's where, that's where they're at right now. <laughs> and that goes back to bodily autonomy too. Like, uh-huh. you know, like, and this is, this has been said many times, but like, when you take bodily autonomy away from one person in one instance, say abortion, you're taking it away from everybody. So if you don't have a right to your body and how and when you choose to give birth, you don't have a right to your body and how and when you choose to have sex. You know, I mean, that's that's functionally where it goes. And so, yeah, these pastors and ministers and people in power, they take from women's bodies because women's bodies don't have rights on their own or young boys bodies, you know, there's a lot of that going on too. So it's bodily autonomy is important folks. Like I, I mean, that's like when you have a, a denomination again, born out of the fact that like certain people don't have rights to their bodies. Right. Like <laughs> that was the whole premise. That was the premise. And 200 years later, guess what? They're sticking this, to it. This denomination is still struggling with this basic premise that people have rights to their own bodies. And it, it shouldn't be surprising, but it's shocking and sad that they have this much authority. Again, because we live in a country where there was a question about people have, having rights to uh, their own rights bodies. Rights to their own bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yep. So this is going to be a struggle that we continue to struggle with. And, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to cover this is one, because it's, it's interesting and weird, but also it's like this small thing is also the whole thing in many ways. Fuck them. <laughs> That's where I'm landing this plane tonight. Yeah. They I can all get fucked. <laughs> yeah. It, it certainly get fucked. I also do think though, that having an understanding of, what we are up against, I think, gives me a little not I wouldn't say hope. It's not hope. It's more of a, just like a context. This isn't a fight that's going to be won overnight. This isn't a um, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, this isn't like, oh, we passed this one piece of legislation. We'll win. And that's the problem that liberals have. Like, you know, we elected Obama and we're like, it's done. We just sit on back. And these folks got angry and they took over half the state legislatures while we were just like patting ourselves on the back for on the back for electing a black man. And that's I'm just I'm going to speak to white liberals very clearly. Like and this is something that, you know, Tori's nodding her head because black folk have known this for a long time. This is not like you don't just get to vote once and like you win. Voting is not an I win button, as we have seen. (laughs) And you don't get to choose your fighter. You choose your enemy. Yes. Sorry. Sucks. But like, I mean, I, I posted this. I posted this on, on Twitter last night. I was like, I mean, like what white liberals don't functionally understand is that conservatives have been after this this week for 50 years. Right. And so they, the, you know, it was like a bunch of them 
held their noses and voted for Trump because they knew that he was going to stack the bench with all these people who were opposed to abortion and they would be able to get their shit. And that's, that's just that. That's how it shook out. Because they uh, chose their enemy, not their uh-huh. fighter. So didn't matter how much they thought Romney was like, I don't know, a rhino or whatever, whatever they were accusing him of. Like, you know, John McCain also, he was like, he's so liberal, man. Even though he like voted with his party like 99% of the time. Yeah, they, you know, George Bush, not, not necessarily the smartest cookie, but they were like, okay, this is, this is what we're doing because they had a very explicit goal. And I don't know that there is any explicit goal among Democrats or liberals more broadly or progressives or even anti-fascists, like, you know, radical leftists. I don't know. Like, what, what is our, what is our like overriding goal? I've, I've not heard one. Honestly, in some ways, we're fucking lucky that their goal was so stupid, like stopping abortions or banning abortions. I should say they're not stopping them. But like, that is such a fucking dumb goal. Mm-hmm. Like we're lucky that that was mm-hmm. the goal and not mm-hmm. like installing a Christian emperor. <laughs> like, because Fuck well, that, if they could be after that. They're, they're talking about it now for sure. Cause they're like, well, what else could we do? But that's on the table folks, just so you're aware, but amongst like more extreme groups, but like, we're lucky that it was this ridiculous. I mean, obviously there's going to be legal ramifications and women will die and this is going to be terrible, but it's like, weird diet fascism right yeah not full-on fascism uh, at this point and so i think that there's there are opportunities for i'm not even gonna say liberals like decent i'm just gonna say decent human beings to get their shit together and not be so picky about like oh i don't like biden like well i didn't like biden either but we really don't like Biden this week. We we don't like, <laughs> and again, Tori and I talked for an hour about how much we don't like Biden. I think. <laughs> but if Biden's up again and it, or in some fascist chud, you know, is like, I'm sorry, like it, Ron DeSantis. Nope, fuck that shit. I will nope. vote Biden early, yeah. middle of the day, late. Doesn't matter. I'm not even gonna hold my nose. No, like, no. No, no, nope. because because Ron DeSantis wants people to die. Like he he actively wants to kill pregnant people and trans kids. Like that is that is that is what he feels making America great again looks like. Is those people not having any bodily autonomy? And people might disagree, and that's fine. But because I I mean, if someone wants to sit out an election or sit out an election, I get that. But I'm also like, to me. That's super privileged because probably you're not going to be hurt whomever whoever wins. If Donald Trump wins again, me as a white man, I'm not going to get hurt again. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's probably going to hurt. I will be the last one hurt. But I think that what's I think that I you know I think that what's really interesting is it's like black women, like black people who can get pregnant, black trans women, like we're always like the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. And so like, even when the rest of y'all get, get your rights, like then that's like, you're just like, okay, clapping myself on the back. Meanwhile, it's like this, this, this mechanism that was required to create the fascism in the first place is still in place. Like we're still using it, which means it can still it, like, and it, it never really stopped being used against black women and black pregnant people. You can look at the fucking data, like 
we we die at two to three times the rate of of white moms and pregnant people. Yeah, like when you look at infant mortality rates. Oh, was that freaking some dude from Louisiana was like, if you remove the black people, our infant mortality is not that bad. Like, yeah, well, you can't remove the black people because they're American citizens. <laughs> like, they're and humans. even if we weren't, still like, can't do it. They're they're humans in your jurisdiction that you're supposed to represent. Yeah, so there's no room for resting on our laurels uh, on anything at this point. And again, I don't think there's there is a lot of room for purity tests when it comes to like politicians. Yeah, I'm like, if you support like that's that's the thing. It's like abortion access is is the purity test. Like that is it. If you think that like people should be able because again that's that contains everything if you don't have a right to your body you have no rights right so to me like that seems like a reasonable purity test is do you think people should have a right to their bodies or not not like what you feel you do personally if you were in some awful situation but like what about what about other people what about your constituents like do we have a right to our bodies like that's that's the litmus test to me yeah, not like how did you vote back in 1978 on some appropriations bill? So, yeah, the SBC, it's a weird history and it's really tied into American history and uh, how we just we're, we suck at bodily autonomy because we started as a slave country because I guess that's how we could sum that up. I don't know if I could cast the SBC. <laughs> it's just Satan. Just Satan. It's- really mean it should be god satan doesn't really get into too much trouble it seems like honestly satan again we've said this before satan was there for me right satan's my real dad (laughs) god is my father but satan's my daddy (laughs) oh yeah anyway we don't have we don't have to we can we can cast the sbc into non-existent hell yes that's where i'm casting them you're just gonna wait on the casting couch (laughs) <laughs> forever uh yeah so, cool uh yeah. good <laughs> shit yeah i mean this is gonna be a fight folks but it's 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 a good it's worth it because uh-huh. it's it's human beings on the line and i think i think that it's i think it's important to know where where people are coming from and where our history is and uh, there's just a lot of momentum i think against us but but there's good people too. So thank you all for listening to this drunken rambling. Well researched though, too. Like I yes. did research and Tori did a shit ton of research. Like Tori did an amazing job. And so we might do some more of these like deep dives in the future on just various topics and things. If they're interesting to you, let us know. If you're a patron, let us know on the Discord. If you're a regular listener, just reach out to us and say, hey, this was helpful. Or like, dude, I just want to hear funny Bible stories. Like if that's if that's all we are to you. And the the great, great, we will continue to do that. But I also, you know, I think some historical moments deserve a little more of a deep dive. So, so thanks for listening. Uh, you can catch us at Go Home Bible on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Justin D. Gentry on Twitter and Justin.Gentry on the Instagrams. Tori is at Tori at Glass. Tori Glass. Everything. On, on everything. Because yep. she has her shit together and got it all at the same time or something. But anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around.
1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.